Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. My name is Ian Fisher, and I am the host for today's episode. We've got a great show lined up for you all today. We're going to talk a little bit about action items for rising seniors and how they can start to think about tasks over the summer to prepare for a fall of applying to college. And we'll talk about tuition payment programs uh, in the finance segment that we have for today. So we're really excited uh, to, to talk about those different topics. But first, we want to well, turn the tables a little bit here. Uh, those of you who are watching this video on Facebook, you already recognize and know that we've got Beth Heaton here on the show, longtime host, first time guest. Uh, Beth, welcome to the show. How does it feel to be sitting on the other side of the table? I love it. I show up and you do all the work and I get to do all the talking. So honestly, for me, <laughs> couldn't be better. Finally, been hosting the show for years, and um, and we get to do this. And I think because you're the host, I actually want to actually put in a plug. Uh, if you like hearing Beth as the guest of the show today, and of course you love hearing Beth as the host of the show, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. We love to get those five star ratings. They help get our expert advice in front of more people. Uh, so please stop by and give us a rating um, or a review at some point uh, after you listen to the show today. All right, now Beth, we are ho- we are bringing you on the show to tap a different set of experience that you have than I think is typical. Usually it's all about your admissions ex- expertise. Today we're turning to your parenting expertise. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Not sure I would say expertise. I am a parent. Let's Parenting we'll... experience. You yes. qualify as a parent. I qualify um, as a parent, but yeah, expertise year, is tricky. <laughs> a parent of a rising senior. Yes. Uh, your son, Jack, is uh, currently in the process of looking at colleges, he'll be applying to colleges this fall. And I want to talk about that in detail. But what I want to do first is rewind way back to when you started with College Coach, which was quite a while ago. Um, And Jack was quite young at that time. Yes. And, And so I'm curious, at that point, when you started thinking about college counseling, how did you think about Jack's trajectory at that point when he was really young. And I'm, I'm taking notes here because I've got an eight and a seven-year-old. So I want to hear a little bit about what your perspective was then. Well, when I started working at college coach, Jack was two and a half. I had him while I was an admissions officer at Penn. And at that time, both when I joined college coach and also when I had him, I was working at an Ivy League. I had gone to an Ivy League. I traveled with Ivy League schools and other highly selective schools. So my world, as far as colleges were concerned, was somewhat narrow. Um, And I did know, because I was doing admissions, that there were a lot of hurdles that he was going to have to leap if he was going to be competitive at that level. So I do believe that there was a part of me that thought, you know, I wonder what this is going to look like for him I have no idea what admissions is even going to be like by the time he's applying to college. But um, certainly my aspirations were that of every parent. I think at that point, you know, I he was walking and talking and doing all those things on time. So yeah. maybe he was brilliant and perhaps he was going to be one of these world changers. Um, and while I would say I still think my son is brilliant and could be a world changer, I think my 
I, I don't think I know that my thoughts around where he will go to college and how important that is have changed um, somewhat. I think I always knew that going to college was going to be key, in my opinion, for him. Where he went, I was a little bit more like, well, you know, we'll see. But in the back of my mind, of course, I'm like, well, maybe he would like to go to my alma mater. Or, you know, maybe he'd like right. to do this. Yeah. And, um, and that has shifted uh, perceptibly over the years. I was same experience. I remember, you know, my wife and I talking about our kids and which one was going to be the reedy of, of the two right. when they were like two and three. And it's like, this is a kind of a silly thing to be saying, but of course, like our view is fairly narrow at that point. I wonder if over time, you know, Jack now being 16, 17 years old, is he 17? 17. 17 yeah. Okay. Uh, has your, the way that you've changed kind of your perception of him and, and, and where he, what his, his options might be, is that a result of getting to know him better? Obviously he's grown up or a result of um, exposure to parents in, in these circumstances and how they've engaged with the process. I mean, probably a combination of the two, but, but how would you weigh that? I think it's a combination of the two. And then there's a third thing that I would add mm. in there and probably possibly the most impactful, which is that my, um, my insight and knowledge of the world of college and what is available really, really expanded through yeah. my time here. And visiting different schools and starting to be like, oh my gosh, what a cool program that is. And I love this campus. I would love for Jack to go here because on some level, you know, you do always have your child in the back of your mind. And as I saw more and more and realized that there were so many different places that could be great launching pads for him, for his future, mm -hmm. um, I think that really shifted my mindset as far as how important a particular college would be for him or a particular group of colleges. Yeah. I think, you know, also I got to know him, as you say, and as I think every parent out there has this experience, or most do, I will say my stepson is very much like his dad. They share a lot of similarities. They even speak the same. It's kind of weird. Um, and I would say that's not the case with Jack and me. He has a nice mix of his dad and me, and then his own person. And so I also started to recognize, or not started to, but definitely embrace the idea that I had my college experience and this is going to be his. He and I are different people. What he's going to want out of this is different than what I wanted. And by the way, I already had it, right? So I don't need to want him to have my experience because I already had my experience. And then the third thing that you mentioned, just other parents, um, I saw in my work great examples of how to embrace your child as they are. And then I also saw some examples of maybe how not to do it. And I for sure started to resolve to really not start every conversation by apologizing for the places in which I felt like my child fell short and instead to really embrace the idea that, wow, he's so great at these things and the other things not his thing. So, and that's okay. Right. So I think yeah. those three things really kind of brought me to where I am today. 
No, I think that's, I think that's great. And, and it's, I wonder about when you started to see that development for you. I mean, did it start happening early high school? Is that something that um, when you really started thinking more explicitly about the process of applying to college, that it became more salient for you? Like wh- where's the point at which that started to happen? It actually happened much younger, Mm. I would say, because I did start to embrace the idea that, oh, there are so many schools that are out there. So I really did kind of let go of the idea that I wanted him to follow in my path and go to a very selective school. And I should also add that his father um, followed a really different path than mine. And so I also had at that point, more exposure to what another path could look like. And then with my husband, um, I saw the path that he followed, which was, again, very different from mine, from my ex-husband's. And so I was very close to a bunch of different ways. But what I started to see um, were the things that that Jack really enjoyed and the things that he didn't. And one thing that I saw is that maybe he wasn't as passionate about doing well in school as I was, which is not to say that he didn't do well, but that it didn't really drive him. And I came home from fifth grade with the first B I'd ever gotten in penmanship, by the way. The last and I was got, right? <laughs> devastated by this B. This was terrible, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, I started to recognize this is a different kid altogether while simultaneously seeing what was required to get in at this very elite level and starting to recognize that he could come into his own. He could be someone who starts to really embrace a particular area of focus, but it won't surprise me if he doesn't. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think there's a very narrow, I mean, really like the expectations that colleges place on students when they do admission is, is looking at a very narrow subset of what it means to be a young person. And I think where students say, this isn't for me, it can sometimes mean that they are not competitive for the top schools, but that doesn't mean that they're not great kids who have really strong talents. And one of the things that I've observed as an educator here, you know, when I first started, I knew we had a lot of colleagues who had kids that were going through the process. And I thought that meant, oh, these kids are going to go to the best school, you know, the most, the hardest to get into because they know their yes. stuff. Key, but hardest actually, to get into. Right? Hardest to get yeah. into. Yeah, we had yes. to change my, my phrasing there. But actually, I think that what you're describing about this expansion in terms of an understanding of what the possibilities are and an understanding that it's not where you go, but who you are that makes a difference has really been something I've observed in all of our colleagues and the way that they support students as they get get into this college process. So that's been really cool and I think really counterintuitive in terms of how you think about an expert um, in this space uh, and what they might do with their own kids. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about you and supporting Jack directly because he knows that you do this stuff. Um, you know, he knows mom has her podcast and is like an expert and worked at Penn and all of this stuff. Um, and I think he, he talks about that with a little bit of a, a grin on his face as well, acknowledging that, um, how do you find balance as a parent who knows her stuff in terms of what Jack quote should be doing? Um, and what Jack wants to do. How do you have those conversations with sure. him? Sure. Well, I will say that in throughout middle school, um, he was trying different things and not really finding anything that he really enjoyed. And there were absolutely moments of frustration. So lest I portray this as like, it's been really great and I've embraced the kid I have and like smooth sailing. No, it has not worked like that, right? I have been eager for him to find some things that he enjoys doing. And we didn't, he didn't get very far on that front in middle school. And more than once I said to him, 
I don't really care what you do, but just be aware, you will be doing something every sports season. So maybe you're playing a spring sport, maybe you're not. But if you're not, you're going to do something different, right? So I wanted him to do debate. I thought he would be a brilliant debater because he debates me on everything and often wins. He had no interest in trying it. There were a few different things that I suggested that I do really think he would have enjoyed that he just wasn't interested in. Um, and for, you know, so that that has been an evolution. And I, so what I've tried really hard to do is be less focused on what and more focused on it's important that you're doing things, whatever those are. That's fine, but I want you to find some things that you can commit to and do all four years. And that he has absolutely done. Um, and so I have, because of that evolution, I'm fine with what he's chosen to do. And he's done lots of nice things, great things. I would say typical things that an average teenager would do. Um, and, and that's been great for him. And it's, and it's perfect for him. But he also, I mean, he does things that are typical, right? Like, like, you know, on the football team, but he does them in a way where he really throws himself into them. Like he yes. really is invested and commits to them. And I think that's probably, you know, as a parent, it's like, well, this isn't sticking. This isn't sticking. This isn't sticking. When he finally found that thing, he was a hundred percent committed to it. And I think it's hard as a parent to have that patience and wait for that thing to come along. Uh, but when it does, I think it can be really exciting. Yeah, right. And what, what happens if it doesn't happen? And I will counter, uh, you know, the counterpoint to this is my stepson, who did not um, ever find something in high school that he really loved so much, but he did things. And that was fine, too. Right. And that worked for him. So I do think that's the key. We We certainly can talk a lot about finding your the things that you're really interested in and curious about that you want to investigate further. And um, but it doesn't happen for all students. And there's plenty of room for those students. They make up the majority of students, I would say, too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, and, and just I want to talk about essays in a moment. But I just when you talk to him about this concept of I don't care what you do, but there's something you need to do. What are you falling back on? as the justification for saying that? Is it, I worked in these admission offices and I know how important this stuff is, or was there something else that you brought to the table as, as mom in this context? I mean, I would like to say that I would say to him, it's really important for you to develop your interests and stuff, but really what I would say to him is there are 10 spots on the common application and you need to fill them out. <laughs> I'm not, see what I told you, not a parenting expert, just a parent. <laughs> So yeah, that was the that was um, that was the the focus from which I presented it. The thing about Jack is that he is a curious kid and he's an engaged kid. So I really I wasn't worried about like you need to develop as a person or things like that, which are also really nice offshoots of all this involvement and probably at the end of the day the most important part. But I was purely I felt like he needed to hear. This is why you're doing it. This is why you have to do it. But but he is he is a good I mean like he's engaged, he connects well with other people and I think there is this important piece where you say, look, an admission office isn't going to know this unless yes. you have something that you can demonstrate as you work through the application. Um and so now, you know, you were sort of speaking in terms of this is coming down the road. You've got to know that this is part of the common app uh, or I know it and that's why I'm telling you to right. do it. Now he's in a position where he's actually going to start filling out that common app, where he is actually putting his college list together. Um, I want to talk about essay, and then we'll see if we got some time also to talk about the college list. You obviously great writer. You you've got you're a good editor. 
you have been close to the essay writing process for years and years. Um, how are you staying out of it? <laughs> well, for starters, <laughs> I hadn't talked to you. Right. Um, but even then, I didn't totally stay out of it, did I? Because I did leave the instructions to Jack and to you were whatever he writes about, it can't be about football because right. writing about sports is such a common thing. And I knew that he had more that he could tap into. All students have more that they could tap into. So that's how I am, you know, I really thought that if Jack and I talked about what he could write about, I would steamroll him and choose his topic for him. And I thought it would be much better to let it unfold a little bit more appropriately since I have this great team, you know, to ask you, hey, do you mind giving an hour to Jack to talk to him through these ideas? So that's one way in which I'm staying out of it. I will, I will edit you know, but the way that I always edit, which is preserving the student's voice and more just say, hey, I would love to learn more about this. How about a little bit more about this? Do you need this um, to help him just kind of tighten it up and make sure he's he's including the right things and including the self-reflection? Um, I never write essays for kids, and I certainly won't be starting with my own child. No, and I think that, you know, you always, and we always talk about the importance of the student's authentic voice coming through. And this is a really cool thing as a parent, because you know him so well, you know what his voice sounds like, you know how he talks about these things. And so it's just a matter of saying, use your voice to talk about this aspect of this thing. Give me more here. I need less of this, but really making sure that his voice comes through in the process. Um, I I do think it is smart and it's great advice, I think, for parents out there who maybe didn't work at Penn uh, to (laughs) farm out certain aspects of the writing process to other trusted adults or other people that can help to support your student, because it's going to be hard for a kid to do the brainstorm, the topic development, topic identification, uh, you know, write the essay, do the editing all with one parent. Um, Yeah. I think that they're going to get sick of you um, and you're going to get sick of them. So uh, not no offense, Beth, but no, great choice to, you know, totally step back there. none taken. And I think it's very, I think it's an accurate assessment that um, I thought this part of the process would be much better with somebody else, even though this is such an area of expertise for me. Um, yeah. It would be a little, it would be best for him. And I, you know, when I was talking to him, I said, you can't write about football. You really should write about football. You know, so I was, I was trying my best to be subversive there, but I think we went the other direction. Um, So uh, that's great. I want to talk a little bit just about the college list process and just how you're thinking about, um, we've got a couple of minutes here, but like, how are you thinking about this idea of introducing Jack to schools that he might consider? And you know, I, it's great because in our team chats or in our emails, you'll say, oh, I got to make a note of this school for Jack. Oh, I love that scholarship. I'm going to make a note of this one. But ultimately, he's going, right? So how right. are you finding that balance between what you know and anticipate about a school and its culture and its fit for him versus how he reacts to that school when he sees it or researches it? You know, I think the first huge piece, with, well, there are two. The first is that I really, truly... Um, I don't have a vested interest and I don't have a choice in the back of my head that I think I want him to be at. Um, I have some schools that I think would be great for him, but I'm not laser focused on them. Does he know what schools those are? He does. I have shared with him that I think these could be good fits, but ultimately it is your choice. And by the way, the the schools that I have in my head were generated by him. They were ideas that he had. And with once he started expressing, oh, I'm interested in this school, then I was saying, okay, well, this there here are some other schools that are like that school. Mm -hmm. Right. So it starts with him first. 
And then as we have kind of looked at the list, the other huge piece that I am top of mind for me is price. And so, you know, when we are considering schools, we are looking also at, oh, well, this one could be good. You might get some merit money here. Or this one is affordable whether you get merit money or you don't. Um, I don't believe he's going to qualify for financial aid. He might qualify for a little, but I don't think he's going to. And um so we've always had to keep the finance piece top of mind when we think about that. And that is a big mistake that I see a lot of pa families making is just they're not talking about the finance part up front. And then students are applying to a range of schools, many of them extraordinarily expensive. And then they find it difficult to say, well, you got in, but and right. now we can't afford it. So then they go into debt. So we're not playing that game here. We are we are keeping that finance piece part of the process. Um and then the big things that I tried to do is get Jack to really think about what do you want in your school? Um, you know, what are the key components? And if he sees something at one school that he thinks is really cool, we look for equivalents at the other colleges or I ask him to go nice. and look, do they have something like this program at some of the other schools that you're thinking about? Um, and then finally, we have a really balanced list. So he is looking at schools that are going to be a little bit more difficult to get into for him. And then we have a nice group where I think he will get in and then we have a nice group where i'm pretty sure he's going to get in and where he will hopefully qualify for money cool that's great yeah. sounds like you um know what you're talking about you done <laughs> this before if i don't at this point we're all in deep trouble Some so. serious trouble yeah. yeah exactly yeah i can say mom i thought you knew your stuff what's going on here <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, well, this has been awesome. I hope that we can bring you back on some shows a little bit later in the fall, maybe right before he submits, uh, talk maybe in the spring about outcomes or just figure out a way to touch base and see how this whole thing is unfolding for you. Because uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As you know, I'm always happy to come on and talk. Uh, and you know, we <laughs> might even be able to get Jack to come on when it's all over and he's made his choice. I think he, that might make for an interesting. That would interview. be super cool. Yeah, He'll tell all the great. secrets of what actually happened versus <laughs> my my That's presentation, right. right? That's exactly right. Awesome. Well, um, thanks, Beth, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Ian. And, um, yeah, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk about a college finance payment plan. So uh, don't go away. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. We just had a great first segment where you talked with uh, Beth Heaton all about how she's supporting her son through the application process. And one of the things that she mentioned near the end of our segment was the role of finances and the cost of college. And she might find that if Jack gets into a school that she might have access to a tuition payment plan. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. And to do that, uh, I've got my colleague, Michelle Clifton here from the college finance team joining us to talk all about it. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? Hi, Ian. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing really well. Uh, Having a good show so far. Um, And it's going to continue, obviously. So I I want to talk about these payment plans. Um, We are currently sitting right about in the middle of June. Um, and is this about the time that families start to think about payment plans or does it happen a little bit closer to the start of the first day of classes? That's a great question. This is actually the perfect time to be talking about this because payment plans are opening up right now. Um, as far as the earliest side of things, there's different timelines, but, um, yeah, this is great timing. So let's talk a little bit about this just in general for people who might be unfamiliar. Um, you know, I typically would look and see what the cost of college is. It's listed for a full year price. Um, and I, my intuition is that we split it into two segments. You've got one semester, you've got a second semester, you, you write two big checks and it goes to the school. Tuition payment plan seems to suggest that it's something different. So what exactly is it? What, what are the structures of this look like? Yeah, exactly. So instead of doing those two large payments, it gives families the option to pay in monthly installments. So rather than make those two large payments, it will um, be, there's a couple different ways they do it. So there could be shorter plan options, like two to five months for one semester at a time, Mm -hmm. or there could be annual plans. A lot of schools have annual plans. So you have to think about the full year cost. Mm -hmm. And um, that's usually split up in uh, six to 10 months, you know, eight and 10 months are the most common I see. And gotcha. in that case, usually the first half of the payments. So if it's a 10 month plan, the first five payments go towards the fall. And then the second five, the last five go towards the spring. 10 payments made monthly. So that would mean that there are two months that you you are not making payments. And then uh-huh. is, it an, is it typically an even division of the cost? So if I'm paying $50,000 for tuition, then I'm paying $5,000 each month on a 10 month Plan. Yeah, that's typically how it works. You can sometimes do uneven splits if you need to, if there's certain costs that are in the fall that are in the spring, like health insurance or, okay. um, you know, the enrollment deposit can put a wrench in things because that's, that's only right. credited to the fall and, you know, lots of different moving parts, but um, it can be exactly the same or it can be different for 
um, each of those months. Those fees add up, don't they? I mean, you look yeah. at this huge bill and it's like, and then you've got the student body fee for $700 or whatever. And it's like, okay, stop. Um, all right. But, but payment plans, I think, can, can help make this a little bit more manageable and, and also just help with planning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is this something that's universal that every college offers? And, and if not, how can uh, families figure out whether it's available to them? Yeah, almost every college that I'm aware of offers some sort of payment plan. But the way to really make sure you know what plan is available to you um, and how to set that up would be to reach out to the billing office. So that's probably a new office. You probably haven't reached, you know, if you're an income family where, you know, your student's just starting in the fall, you probably haven't talked to them before. You probably talked to admissions, uh, maybe financial aid, but there's another office um, that does billing and they can sometimes be called student accounts, sometimes mm-hmm. bursar's office, sometimes student mm-hmm. financial services, sometimes they're within financial aid, sometimes they're with the registrar too, sometimes they're standalone. So lots of different pieces there, but finding out what that office is key. And then they'll have information you know, by calling them or reviewing the tuition section, section of the website. And um, a lot of the billing offices, although they administer the plan, they will actually use a third party payment plan provider to actually collect those payments. So you might be directed to a separate website to actually sign up for that plan and make those monthly payments. So this is the time of year where those payment plan providers either probably already sent out a notification or they are soon where they'll kind of give you a heads up that this is a plan that's available to you. And that can, can, uh, I found that it can provide some confusion for families families because they think that once they get that notification, they think, oh, this is the only way I can pay. Yeah. And they, they aren't aware that they can wait until you know August to make a payment if they want to. Um, but it is a really great way to spread out the costs. And the sooner you set it up um, can be the better because sometimes you can start in June, other times you can start in August. And obviously, the later you start, the higher those payments are going to be because there'll be less months um, to use. Gotcha. So, you know, I, I just I just bought a car and, and one of the options with the car is to think about financing and how mm-hmm. the cost of that car can be spread over time. But financing obviously comes with a, a, a rate where you are paying some form of interest uh, on that payment. Is that something that we see with these college payment plans? Do we have to be aware of some sort of rate that we're paying in order to spread that cost over the year? Or is it going to be 0%? Yeah, so they usually don't charge interest but they will very often have a one-time enrollment fee that could be okay. like $35 to $60 is kind of okay. the average. Um, the, on the higher end, if it's an annual plan, lower end, if it's a per semester plan. But at each time you set up one of those monthly payment plans, you're going to pay a one-time enrollment fee. So that could be four times over the course of four years or every semester. I, I'm sort of curious why a family might elect to do this, right? So, so I mean, obviously, like there might be some form in just sort of saying, all right, we've got um, a certain amount of income. And so we need to divert that income each month towards this payment along with our savings. Um, are there advantages associated with different kinds of college savings accounts um, that are connected to this payment plan in terms of how you withdraw funds? Anything that that maybe I'm not thinking about in terms of just basic, like I've got my pool of money and then I've got my income and I'm drawing from that to pay tuition. Yeah. I used to tell families that it's, you know, it's not going to give you a lot of extra time because oftentimes you're starting before the payments even do, but it really is a good budgeting tool. So, you know, a lot of families will see that large tuition cost and just be overwhelmed and end up maybe borrowing a large loan to cover the cost. And they're not thinking about, oh, maybe I can afford to pay, 
$500 a month or $1,000 a month, and that can bring down how much you're borrowing. So a tip that I have for anyone who's planning to borrow a student loan or parent loans is, you know, trying to estimate the overall cost that, that you think you'll borrow over the four years and do a quick loan calculator or use a quick online loan calculator, you know, bankrate, studentaid.gov, nor wallet, anything. Estimate what your monthly payment's going to be after your child graduates. And then th- see what that monthly payment's going to be and, and try to think about as a family, can we pay that and start paying that now and set up a payment plan for that amount? That way you're tackling the co- cost now and not just waiting for everything, to, you know, waiting to pay later. So you're reducing the interest that you'll pay over time and the debt gotcha. that you'll take on. And that, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of like, as you're thinking about all these different pieces coming together and contributing towards this total cost, how do you chop that up in a way that there's just something psychologically that feels a lot different about a monthly payment versus- Definitely. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now there are obviously blended families, different sorts of circumstances, divorced and separated families. How does this work? Like if you are having multiple people that are paying into a, the cost of college, can you set up multiple payment plans? Uh, does it have to be one? What, what does that look like? Yeah. Usually that you can have, uh, you know, more than one parent set up with their own separate plan. Um, okay. It can be a little bit confusing. So I do usually recommend doing it a slightly different amount for each so that you can differentiate on the student account, which one's for who. Okay. Um, but, you know, most schools are fine with that and, and they'll process it accordingly. That's great. Um, sounds yeah. like colleges really want to get paid. And so they're trying yeah. to make this as easy <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line in a lot of these cases. Um, now, anything else that families should know as they're thinking about these payment plans? I mean, whenever I hear about something that is structured like this, uh, it, it just feels like uh, almost a no-brainer that you would do it. Um, be, you know, obviously, you're mentioning that it starts a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're expecting that bill to come later. But is there anything else that I might want to consider as I'm, you know, weighing the option of a payment plan? Yeah. So I'd say one common misconception is that families will sometimes avoid payment plans in general because they think that they have to set up the entire balance through that. So mm-hmm. say if it's a family that owes forty thousand for the year and they think, oh, I can't pay four thousand dollars a month. I'm just not going to use that plan. But you actually can save it was a ten month plan. Um, yeah. So a lot of times this is coming from multiple sources of funding. So you could set up a plan. So say you could do 2000 a month. Mm-hmm. That's half the cost there. Say you have a 529 plan and you can take a $10,000 distribution for the next portion. And then maybe you can do a loan for the rest, um, mm. that type of thing. So you don't have to cover the full cost through a payment plan. If you have, a, you know, if grandma's making a payment at, um, by the due date, you can account for that. So you can combine... Uh, sort of lump sum payments along with a payment plan that then covers the difference. Yes. Yep. And those lump sums can be made in the form of loans. They could be um, gifts from relatives. They could Mm -hmm. be um, come out of a a savings account. Um, That's really interesting. I think you, you know, we often don't think about, it's like, all right, well, how am I going to chop this up? It just seems so large, but thinking about multiple different funding sources coming in is really helpful. Make it a lot less daunting. When you say loans, is that like um, loans that are coming from private sources as opposed to a financial aid package from a college? Um, so, so if a college says we're going to give you these loans, mm-hmm. how does that fit into the payment plan? Is that um, that covers that portion, and then you've got the remaining balance? Then yeah. So if you're if you're using the loans that are you know the direct loans that are on the financial aid award letter anyway, a lot of times you're taking that out 
initially because you're you know if you have scholarships other financial aid you're kind of calculating that in in advance um, but if you need additional funding then you can also um, apply for a separate loan that you can then use to reduce the amount of the payment plan too that makes sense now as with everything else in college and especially around college finance we're not just talking about one year we're talking about four yes. when i when i start up with a payment plan am I obligated then to pay in that same way for all four years? Or do I have an opportunity to refresh my options every year? Yeah, no, it's a year by year, even sometimes semester by semester basis. So if it's not working for you, if all of a sudden halfway through, you need to cancel that plan, or if the next year you don't want to do that again, you don't have to. You can always work with the school. You know, I used to, I used to work in student billing, so I was adjusting payment plans all the time, you know, whether it's to increase it, decrease it, cancel it. Um, so, you know, and, and on a annual basis, you can totally reassess your options. That's great. And for those of you who are watching the video, you on the podcast can't see this, but we've got another college coach child here on the show today. Yes. Uh, please get downstairs. <laughs> so this is part of the working from home uh, <laughs> life and, and yes. people just get a little insight into that for you, Michelle. Um, so oh my gosh. It's fine. I hear Legos upstairs. So I don't know if that's making it <laughs> to the podcast either. Um, this is really great. I think what I'm hearing is that it depends who you need to talk to from college to college. It's always great to keep that communication open. That's something that I hear from my college finance colleagues all the time. Uh, and it makes a ton of sense. Is there any other parting wisdom that you would want to give to our listeners? Yeah, I would just say, you know, if you need help, you know, especially where payment plans are usually starting before the fall bill even comes out. If you're just like, I don't know how much I should set this up for, you know, call the financial aid office. If you're getting financial aid, call the billing office. You know, mm -hmm. I used to spend a lot of my summers helping families figure out what they were, you know, what their estimated balance was going to be before that bill came out so that they could plan, could make their payment plans or could get those set up. Um, and, and they're happy to help with that. Wonderful. I love it. And I, I mean, that's, that's like college finance professionals are happy to help. It's like, oh, uh, totally. I think it's a ubiquitous uh, yes. sort of characteristic across the group. Uh, Michelle, thanks so much for coming um, and uh, introducing this to all of our listeners. Uh, folks, make sure that you ask these questions as you start to think about paying for college in the fall and, and congratulations uh, on the start of your student's first year of school. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Julia Jones about how to set up some different task lists for the summer. Uh, so you won't want to go away. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I've got my uh, friend and colleague, Julia Jones, here joining us for the final segment today. And Julia, we brought you on because we're coming here to the end of the school year. Uh, Students are transitioning into summer. Uh, It feels like a time to start relaxing. And yet, for seniors... (laughs) Uh, this is a really important time where they can get a lot of good work done towards their application process for the fall. And when the fall comes back around, we're going to be looking at challenging classes. We're going to have essay supplements we need to write. We're going to be actually putting those applications together. So we want to talk today a little bit about how to use this three-month period of time in a really smart way. Um, And so I, I guess what I would start with is you're working with with rising seniors right now. Uh, school has ended. Is there any just initial advice that you want to give to them or, or, or how do you prepare them kind of for thinking about the summer right now in this very earliest phase of, of that period? Right. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great, uh, great question. And I do think that, um, yeah, I mean, summer is, is upon us. And so, you know what, I mean, I have a plan. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, it's great to look at the summer and say, oh, it's, you know, especially after the year we've all been through, right. you know, yeah, summer is, is a chance to, to spend time with family and friends and have fun. But it is, again, for rising seniors, it is, it should be a working summer. So I think you have to get in that mindset a little bit of, yeah, there's going to be work done and, and you have, and it's an opportunity. So I, I really encourage students to think about it. You've got a stretch of time when you're not in school, you're probably doing something, you know, uh, whether it's uh, working or volunteering or you know, something or, or vacationing, but there, there's a lot of work to be done. And if you leave it until the fall of senior year, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's going to be hard. It's so. not fun. Yeah. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> how do you, how do you sort of introduce this idea to students? Do you think about it more from a standpoint of, here's what we'd like to have done by the end of the summer and everybody's going to find their own path to get there? Or do you try and encourage students to have a little bit more of a regimented approach to what the summer is going to look like? What's what's your approach with the students you work with? Sure. I, I usually like to have an end goal and, a, and an ambitious one so that we, you know, something to work towards. And then every student's going to be a little different in how they're, what their approach is. And part of it is based on schedule too. I mean, some students, if they have, you know, are able to kind of, to, to really, to work around whatever they've got planned. Um, but uh, so yeah, my, my, kind of benchmark goal for most students that I work with is, look, by the end of the summer, we want to have your final list of colleges or at least a pretty close, you know, idea of, of uh, not just where you're applying, but, but really also an organizational plan of, you know, how you're going to apply, what applications are you using? um, And, you know, and then also when you're applying, what are the deadlines? So we know what's going on. Um, And then also to have that main essay, the one essay that you're going to be using for most of your colleges, you know, 
know, that's also something I really encourage you. Let's have that done by the time you walk into your um, senior year, that that's, you know, so that you're able to um, really be able to say, okay, at least, at least this one essay is done, maybe more, but that's, that's a really good, you know, starting point. So um, it gives them a direction. Yes. I have been doing the same thing with my students as those are the two targets. And then the third one um, is the, uh, the activities list. I love to have that done by the time we get back into the fall. And I think because for me, and I don't know if this is true for you with the students you work with, the activities list is something that people, they don't really like to get in there and work on it. Like it's just not as fun as an essay. It sort of feels a little bit more like busy work, even though it is really, really important. Um, and so I think if you've got the activities list done, your personal essay done, your college list finished, that actually takes care of a huge percentage of the work um, that you're doing. Absolutely. And I'd love to talk about each of those three things. So let's start with the college list. You're our college list guru. You've been on before talking about college list stuff. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people figure, okay, well, I'll just wait till the end of the summer. And then over the weekend, I'll sit down with my parents and decide where I want to apply. That doesn't work. How can students think about what actually needs to be done over the next three months to get them to that goal of knowing where they want to apply to college? Well, if you haven't really thought about yet what you're looking for in a college or started to put that together, then now is the time to do that. And so I think if, you know, assuming that maybe you've had a little bit of, uh, maybe you have a preliminary list or you have an idea of what you're looking for, some basic criteria. Um, but I think, you know, it's research, you know, really figuring out what's going to be the best fit. And and I know that there are hard, that, you know, that we're still in a, a time when it's not the easiest way to do that. You know, yeah. you can normally you can visit campuses in summer, even though summer's not ideal for visiting schools, even, you know, when you can, um, because you know, students aren't around. I think that, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, it's a time when you don't have to take off school, family vacations, you can build in college visits or make that your family vacation. That's um, right. You know, and I think colleges are, you know, in this year after, as we're sort of slowly coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, colleges are starting to open up uh, for on-campus tours. So, so if that's possible and, and you're comfortable doing that safely, then great. I think that's a, that should definitely be a part of it so that you don't want to wait to plan to do all of your visits, um, you know, after you've been accepted. You don't want to wait until the fall to try and do, you know, on-campus visits. Some you might be able to do, but I think you want to really maximize the time that you have when you're not in school. Yeah. And, and you're able to, to do that. And if you can't visit on campus, you know, you can still do virtual tours and research and, you know, that you can do at any time. You can do it, you know, 11 o'clock at night at your kitchen table if you want. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that it's, it, there are a lot of, a lot of ways to, to really do that, but I think that's, that's gotta be part of it so that you're narrowing down the list, you know, of, of the schools that are, you know, that are going to be, that, that are going to be good fits for you. We had a group of our uh, educators went to a virtual visit for University of Virginia earlier this spring. We also had a group that just went to visit Emory. I was in the Virginia group and we got to talk to current students there. We got to see slideshows of things around campus. It's not the same as being on campus, but it really is interesting the way that colleges have stepped up to try and provide some form of an experience for prospective students. And you have to keep in mind that colleges really want you to be interested. They want you to see what they have to offer. And if they can't do that through a traditional visit, they're finding ways to do that. So that's something you can do here over the summer. And I would just say in terms of visits, summer is a great time to go and just get exposed more to what kind of college opportunities are out there. So it's a little bit more of a broad visit experience. I think in the fall, that's where you start to say, I've got a top two or three choices, and I really need to go and see those campuses to confirm that those are my top choices. And then in the spring, you might have an opportunity to revisit 
or to check out one or two that you got into that you didn't consider before. But you have to use sort of all three phases, I think, in some respect, without trying to go and see 10 schools in one week, um, you know, over the summer. I think there's a way of spreading it out a little bit more broadly to inform your research process. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's you're trying to figure out because you also have to decide if especially if you're deciding between early, am I doing an early decision? Am I doing, yes. you know, that that too is is part you can't do that if you haven't done it, done your research. So I think that the research has to drive that. It has to drive it. And it's really something you want to do consistently. I think a lot of students figure out, you just cannot sit down and say, I'm going to research colleges today and decide where I'm going to apply. It takes a long time. And if you do it right, you learn something about yourself and your interests along the way that informs the decision-making process. Uh, And that's part of why it helps to stretch it out. Um, All right, let's talk about the activities list briefly. Um, And I think that the summer is often, we'll do a little bit of a departure here. The summer is a time, as you mentioned, that is quite unstructured and there still is an opportunity to be engaged. Some students think, well, I don't have a chance to still impact my application. Other students say, I'm going to make a big impact on my application this summer. How would you think about what students should be doing, especially right now, if they haven't got something planned? Um, What should they do? What can they look to? Well, I think, you know, the key is to do something. And I think that's the thing is there's no one thing that you need to do during the school year. And there's no one thing that summer, you know, is, is all about. It's following your interests, really finding those things that maybe you're curious about that you maybe haven't had a chance to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe this is the summer, especially given that we've been, you know, let this whole year has has been a little bit, we've been in, in limbo. So, yeah. you know, maybe this yeah. summer is the chance to, you know, to go to camp if you couldn't go last year or, um, you know, or do that really cool summer program if it was canceled last year. Um, or maybe it's a time to get a job. Um, you know, there's probably no better time ever that uh, for a high school student to get yes. a job right That's now. Right. Basically people are crying for it. And um, and work experience looks great on a resume. So um, so I think there are definitely, you know, even things that you some students think, oh, well, that doesn't matter. And sure it does. And so it's really looking at, you know, ways that you're getting involved, um, you know, following your interests, maybe doing things that are, are you know, going to really help further further that resume. Yeah, I think the do something is just a great refrain for students who maybe have missed the boat on some of that early planning and and they don't quite, they're striking out maybe with jobs is go volunteer at the library every week, go and and volunteer, um, you know, for a local organization that does something you care about. And I think what's really surprising for students is just how much time they have over the summer because School takes so much time. You have so many classes, so much homework, extra extracurricular after school commitments. When the summer hits, it's like, oh my gosh, I can sleep till one and stay up till two. And we don't want to do that, right? We want a little bit more organization. A little more structure. Yeah, uh, yeah in, in, in terms of how you're going to approach it. So I think that makes sense. And then I would recommend just like, and I don't know if you uh, do this with your students, start start taking note of what all of your activities are. Keep track of the things that you're doing. Get an early jump on this. I think you don't have to have a final draft of your activities list now, but you really want to be able to be done with that common app um, by the time we hit Labor Day. Um, let's talk about the essay because we, we got a couple of minutes left and I just want to think about what this looks like. Um, you said, try and by the time you go back to school, you've got a draft finished. Um, Most students, I think, probably haven't started their essays, and I think that that's fine. Um, Where do you begin? How much time do you need to devote to this project? Um, And what are you looking, like, what are you doing as a student? Like, how do you engage with this essay writing process? It's fairly new to these rising seniors. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that there are, you know, I think the best way to start some ways is just, you know, think about what you want to represent or how you want to present yourself, look at the essay questions and get some ideas, but it is a process. It's not something you're going to do in a week's time or overnight, or, you know, it, it's you more, the summer is the reason we are saying do this over the summer is because it can take those, a long time. Those, yeah. Those not that time. So I think you have to really, you know, plan for that. And even the best writers, I don't think in almost two decades of doing this, I've ever worked with students and I've worked with some great writers. They've never, it's never, you've never gotten it right the first exact time. Never. Like that first I've never seen that. It's not going to be perfect. And you know I've that as a writer it. too. It's, it, it just, it takes some time. So, um, so you really want to give it the time. And, and the more, the earlier you start and the, even if you can get a rough draft, I also like the idea of putting it aside for a week or two or even longer and then coming back to it. When you look at something with fresh eyes, you find new, th- new elements. You find, sometimes you find good things. Sometimes you find things that maybe aren't going in the right direction or have looked great at the time. Maybe they're embarrassing now. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I'm doing this writing class, and like, I'll go back and look at my writing that I wrote a year ago that I thought was awesome, and just be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I wrote that that way. And you, you do. I mean, you do need to do that. And I think good writers have a harder time revisiting their writing because they say, well, I did it right the first time. You go back and you say, you know, this isn't quite right. And it takes. There's a little discomfort, I think, in that. Yeah. But but that's what you need in order to get to get closer to that finished draft. Yeah. Um, Julia, were you one of the educators that worked on the video series that we did on the personal essay uh, this past year? I, I wasn't. I think we had done a webinar that I was a part of, but okay. um, not the video series, but I've seen it. And yeah, it's, it's a great, okay. it's, a great it's, it's a really great resource. Um, I, I think you can find it on YouTube on just like how to actually go through and write that college essay. But it really is something that stretches over many months. And, and that surprises families quite a bit. How many average drafts would you say your students go through to get from point A to point Z? I mean, obviously it depends, but I would say at least four or five, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's some more and there's no, there's no harm in that too. I think at the end, the, the end result, you want it to be great. And if it takes, if it takes you 10 drafts, if it takes you a few ideas before you get the right topic, even that's okay. But that's why you build the time that you, you know, if, if you're doing it, Two weeks before the deadline, you're, you're really, you're not going to have the luxury of being able to do all the things that, that are needed. So get started, revisit it, uh, be thoughtful in how you engage. And I think that that's true with the list. It's true with the activities list. It's true with the college essay. Those are the big three things that we want seniors to look at this summer. Uh, Julie, I think that's, that's great. Thanks for coming and helping to break it down. So simply in those three categories, really appreciate it. Um, folks, that does it for today's show. We're out of time. It flew by for me. Hope you all enjoyed it as well. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about physical therapy programs, uh, whether it's a good idea to head off to college with an intent to transfer, and how students pay for graduate and professional degrees. So another great show lined up for us next week. Uh, one little plug for you all. If you listen to us on Apple phones, uh, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to be found by new audiences and we love helping more and more families every week. So on behalf of Julia and the entire College Coach team, I want to thank you all for being here for today. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.